Indispensable is a podcast focused on hearing about the business truths, tools, and tips others can't do without. After interviewing hundreds of people for their LinkedIn profiles and talking with thousands of people looking to use professional platforms more strategically, I've had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know people that lead, create, and engage within their companies and in their communities with great intention, abundance, focus, and sheer grit. I want to share their stories so that you can gain insight from a variety of people, not just the podcast and tech rock stars that have become household names. Rather, let's focus on the people whose stories influence those around them, and maybe even you. Everyone has indispensable truths, tools, and tips, even if they haven't realized it yet. And while this podcast isn't about LinkedIn and how to use it, it may weave its way in from time to time. It is, after all, our favorite platform for networking and doing business. Come, join us, and get to know some of my colleagues, clients, friends, and neighbors. Welcome. I'm Colleen McKenna, and you're on our podcast, Indispensable, Business Truths, Tools, and Tips You Can't Do Without. And today, I'm thrilled to have Linda Katz-Wilner on our podcast. Linda is a communication expert, trainer, coach, and professional speaker with Successfully Speaking, her business that she's had for over 35 years. And I've come to know Linda. Um, we're both in Baltimore, and we network in the same groups sometimes. And I've come to know her as an incredible communicator and had people who've watched her present and it's really they've walked away with so many takeaways so it's great to have you on the show with us today Linda and I can't wait to just dive in and start talking with you and uncovering some of the truths tools and tips that you know about thank you Colleen it's great to be here speaking with you so tell us how you define your role, because you really touch a lot of different areas as it relates to communication. So share how you describe yourself and how you add value to your clients. I'll start by telling you what my first career is or what my major career is, and that's I'm a speech and language pathologist. And the reason that's important is because I have the technical skills to make a lot of changes with communication. But it also means that I entered a field because I wanted to help people. And I wanted to make sure that they can communicate because we all know how important communication is. I transitioned from working in healthcare and working with people with communication disorders to starting to see people in the workplace who felt that communication might be holding them back. And it's that same passion that I have for taking somebody under my wing and seeing how I could make them as good a communicator as possible that brought me to this. That's great. And, you know, you've been doing it a long time. So how has the, you know, industry or the skills that are necessary changed over time? That's really a great question because I've been doing speech pathology for many decades and I started my company successfully speaking where I was working for myself back in 1983. And at that time, I started focusing on helping people with voice, helping people with regional dialects like heavy New York accents or Philadelphia accents. Those were the areas I was working and I myself had a very strong accent, and I realized how that became a distraction 
when people were speaking with me. They started focusing more on where I was from than what I was saying. And at that time, what started becoming important in the workplace was the intercultural workplace. And a lot of speech pathologists were starting to be trained in the area of accent modification. Notice I'm not saying accent elimination or mm-hmm. accent reduction, but accent modification. And that, was, I, that struck such a chord for me because I was always dealing with a regional dialect that people would always notice. I worked with accent modification for many years, but I think that becomes a very sensitive area in the workplace. And as of recently, it becomes even more of an issue. Like, why would you want to get rid of somebody's accent? And so what started happening, Colleen, is instead of saying I'm working on accent, I started saying, well, let's help people with their professional speaking skills because we all have accents, first of all, depending Mm -hmm. where we're from, but we all want to polish our communication skills. So I've found that when I focus more on professional speaking skills, it applies to a broad base, like everyone. We We all have that interest. And Accent is one piece of the puzzle, but there are many other parts. It's your pronunciation. It's your tone of voice. It's how fast you speak. It's how grammatical are your sentences. Do you make sense? Do you speak to the point? And how do you look? So I've I've revamped this and focus on the three Vs of communication, the visual, how you look, the vocal, how you sound, and the verbal, what you say. And these three Vs have to be in proper alignment for us to be credible and professional. That's great. I love the three Vs. It's easy to remember, Mm -hmm. number one, right? And it really dials you right in. Of those three, do you do them in that order, visual, vocal, verbal? Is there one that's easier to work on than another? Well, it's interesting. If a lot of people, a lot of presentation skills coaches quote Albert Morabian, who did research in the 1970s, and he talks about the visual, vocal, and verbal communication. And very often you'll hear these percentages that were in his study. And the percentage was that of the message, 55% is visual, 38% is vocal, and 7% is verbal. Before you take note of those numbers, if you go to his website, he said this is all misquoted data. Okay. Oh, wow. It was, but you'll hear many people, and I like to talk about it because people know those numbers, the rule of 55387. The fact is, that study was done on somebody saying one word, like yes, no, maybe, and changing their facial expression. And so, of course, in that situation, the visual is most important. So I talk about that, Colleen, but when you think of it, just in your own experience, the visual is so important. How, how somebody walks into the room and how they show up is such a big part of their professional presence. We all know that from networking. You, right. you scan a room, you know who the people are who really have it together. Now, they may not sound good and they may not know what they're talking about, but we do rely so much on visual. And interestingly enough, you'll hear a lot of image coaches and people who talk about first impressions, and they'll say the, seven, the first seven seconds are important. And I used to say the first four seconds are important. But the reality is a study was done at Princeton, and you form a first impression in less than one-tenth of a second. 
in that, in that time, you look at somebody's face. Of course, you decide how attractive they are. You decide how competent they are. You've, you decide if they're dominant or passive, if they're extroverted or introverted, and most importantly, are they trustworthy? And they found from this study at Princeton that as time went on, if you ask them later, they still had that same impression. So if we're finding that we make a first impression in less than one-tenth of a second, a lot of it is going to be that visual. Right. That doesn't mean the other parts aren't important because you can look great and open your mouth and lose all your credibility by what you're saying and how you sound. So they are all important, Colleen. And so in answer to your question, do I do them in order? Uh, I do master classes with people where I have a group of eight people, no more than eight people, and we meet for two hours. And they each get up in front of the room. And of course, the big feared video camera, mm-hmm. we video them. And some of the takeaways I've gotten from the class, um, somebody who was a very good seasoned speaker decided to take the class anyway. And he said the most powerful moment was when I played the video back, but I took the sound off because then all he could look at was his visual and he did not realize how much he needed to tweak because even though he thought he spoke well and he knew what he was saying, there was something about the way he carried himself that didn't match the part. And so the visual is so important and the tool of using video not using a mirror because the mirror won't tell you the same thing, but using video and watching yourself present to a group of people and seeing how you come across is invaluable. Wow. Talk about being vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we all, we all are. Very few people like video. I, I'm accustomed to it already. That doesn't bother me. But when I go in classes or when I work on one-on-one with somebody and they come to my office, I can't replicate an audience if we're working on public speaking. But Colleen, all I have to do is turn that switch on the camera and the nerves surface because you know you're being captured and you can't change it like you can if you're looking in a mirror. Right. Is it, so it, do you think it's that permanence because it's concrete, right? That yes. triggers that like, oh no, what, what's happening now? Right. Think about it, Colleen. If you look in the mirror, which we all do, you change a little bit. You adjust because you want to look a certain way. When you're in front of that camera, you don't know how you're looking until it's over. And then you look and you say, oh my goodness, do I really do that? Do I really stand that way? Or of course, most people are, well, now I see I need to lose some weight Mm -hmm. (laughs) or fix my hair. But we judge ourselves, but we have to understand whether it's fair or not, we're being judged visually when we walk into a room. And so if they can learn how to stand better and how to gesture better and have good eye contact and not look up at the ceiling when they're talking, those areas are really important. And you can capture them without listening to the voice and without listening to the words. But how often do we ever look at ourselves that way? I think most of us try not to look at ourselves that way. (laughs) But we learn so much about ourselves. So somebody can feel that they know just what they're talking about. And I play the video and I take the sound off because you, you no longer, you can't hear what you're saying anymore. And so all you have is that visual information. And so it's really putting yourself under that microscope. But it's so helpful and revealing. 
Right. And so do you think that as there's so much more video out than there was, you know, five years ago, I mean, there's, there are YouTube rock mm -hmm. stars who are mm -hmm. 15 years old, right? right. That right. have huge followings. Um, do you think that there's more grace around how people appear on video? Or do you think that the bar is even higher now? Oh, boy. I think a lot that goes out there, the bar should be a little bit higher <laughs> than mm -hmm. what's going out there. So some, I think there's so much out now about authenticity. So people are videoing themselves sitting in their kitchen or videoing themselves with a cat walking in the background. And a lot of it is, who is your audience? So if you're looking for the, that much authenticity, that may be appropriate. If you're looking to do a professional video, you need to think twice as to what setting and what quality of video you're going to put out there. Right. That's such a great point. You know, I was on a webinar yesterday and it came up, you know, in my inbox, hey, you have, you know, 15 minutes and they'll this webinar starts and I thought, Oh, you know what? I actually am at a point in my day. I can watch this um, webinar. And I was kind of interested and it was somebody who wrote a book and somebody I've followed mm -hmm. and there were three people doing the webinar and it was for a software product. And I was floored when I got on the webinar, one guy had a sweatshirt and mm -hmm. um, hadn't shaved and had like a, some kind of hat on his head. Another guy was like drinking um, you know, had his soda mm -hmm. from McDonald's ne next to him and had crazy background. And the third, the third person was, it, it was so distracting to mm -hmm. watch these three people who were all incredibly smart mm -hmm. and well-spoken and have books and lots of things, but there was just so much chaos around them that I found that to be very distracting. Well, Colleen, you're touching on another area, and that's the different age gaps mm -hmm. <laughs> and the different generations in the workplace, because there are different rules for different groups. And so some people may feel it's very authentic to wear their baseball cap on backwards and their t-shirt and do a webinar. And there are other people who would make the attempt to look more professional. It, again, depends on who their audience is mm -hmm. and how successful they are and what they can get away with. So that, that's really what we have to think about all the time with communication. Who's our audience? And who are we speaking to? I just did some pitch coaching yesterday to some graduate students. I'm sorry, undergraduate students who are trying to pitch businesses that they're putting together in this entrepreneurial program. And we were talking a lot about that. Like, think about your dress. Think about how you want to be perceived by your audience. So if you're in a workplace where tattoos are fine, but then you're pitching a company and maybe baby boomers are on the panel, you might think twice on whether you want to reveal certain parts. Right? So maybe you should wear a long sleeve shirt if you have sleeves of tattoos. Maybe if you know your audience, that adds to your brand and it's acceptable. So we should always be thinking, it's not all about us. It's usually about the people we're speaking to and what would be respectful to them and what they expect to see. It's just, it doesn't mean you have to uh, yield to everybody's expectations, but you have to think about what image do you want to put out there? Right. And I think that that's important because you just touched on brands, right? Mm -hmm. Every person has a personal brand, right? And mm -hmm. 
and and that might be it, or they represent a company that they work for. So these presentation skills can increase your influence and expand your professional brand in a really positive way, or if not taken seriously or considered thoughtfully, can detract from Mm -hmm. a personal brand. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it's just being mindful of what you want. Let me give you another example. Uh, I was once coaching this branch, this uh, division leader at a big organization, and he went up to the lectern, and he didn't want to speak at the lectern, which many of us don't want to do anymore. We want to step away from it, but he chose to lean on it. And I said to him, you're in a high-level position. Why are you leaning on a lectern? Hmm. And he said, I don't care. You know, he's in the position, it doesn't matter. He wants to be very folksy and casual, and that's his choice, as long as he knows he's making that choice. Uh, another example is a lot of people are good presenters, but they put their hands in their pockets. When I coach people, I do not want their hands in their pockets for any reason, because they can't gesture with that other hand, and you're more animated when both hands are out. Some people will disagree with me and say, I like the casual look. All right, so that's fine, but just understand it is a casual look. So again, we sometimes take on postures that are very powerful because we want to exude that power and authority. And other times we may choose to do weaker postures because we want to do to change that and not, not be so strong. Um, another example is I often tell people don't tilt your head when you talk because you don't sound that powerful. Yet some people say, I tilt my head because I'm an attorney and I want to show that I'm listening to my client and I don't want to be authoritative. And wow, that makes sense, right? Somebody else told me who does uh, pitching, my son was actually a CEO for a company and looking for funding. And he said he deliberately uses the head tilt, unbeknownst to what this other person said, because he's listening and he's not in a position of power because he wants money from somebody. So he doesn't want to come across strong and powerful. He's listening and wants to give the other person power. So there are many things we can knowingly do so that the other pe- person feels more important. Subtle. It's, a lot of it's very subtle. Right. And that nuance, that subtlety takes thought, right? And practice. Mm -hmm. And looking at yourself on a video and seeing how you're coming across. (laughs) Right. And even in conversation like we're having where we're not looking at each other right now, we we turned off the video so Mm -hmm. that we would have better bandwidth and just pausing long enough so we're not talking over one another, Mm -hmm. right? It's very difficult in today's business world with people doing so many conference calls and, Mm -hmm. and chats and people are saying, make sure your video's on. So you do know when to pick up the conversation. So it's much more complex because how we're communicating the channel that we're using to communicate are different. We're not always face to face. That that's absolutely true. And I do a lot of training all around the world with people in all different countries. And I use a a camera Of course, we know the bandwidth changes, but I I do use a camera Mm -hmm. because I need to see when they're puzzled. I need to see when they're doing something correctly. And I won't do coaching just by telephone. I don't think you're losing one of the most important aspects of communication, which is visual. Mm -hmm. And And many of my clients who I've never met in person 
will say they feel like they know me, like we've been sitting in the room together because we're looking in a camera all the time. And I think that is critical, that we are missing a big piece. And many of my clients will say they're running meetings with their global companies and they're not turning the camera on. And I know there are some reasons for that with bandwidth. I also know the things that you lose. You lose that one-on-one, that interaction. You lose the ability to read somebody's face. And you lose the accountability because invariably, if that camera's not on, you might be doing something else and not Mm -hmm. fully listening. And so look what's happening to our communication when we take away that visual. And that's, that's what's happening when we're texting and not making phone calls and not talking. Texting is taking away the visual and the vocal. And right. so as you take away those Vs and you're left with one, that one modality that you're left with has to be very powerful and strong and not give the wrong messages. And you and I know how many times we might misinterpret a text message or an email. So many times. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and that's interesting, right? I, I guess I never really thought about it in terms of the texting, in terms of the Vs, and now we've reduced it to one modality. Mm-hmm. I love that. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that's really critical. Mm-hmm. And while we're talking about this, it, it kind of popped in my head. What do you think about so many job interviews? At least somewhere in that job interview, there might be a video interview. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you tell people, how do you best prepare somebody who is young in their career? Mm-hmm. And you know what? And even senior in their career, and the idea of a video interview is pretty foreign, mm-hmm. Right. How do you get prepare them? Well, and I know my son, when he was in college several years ago, they were already doing the video interviews. And number one, dress appropriately, at least from the waist up. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, what's your background? You know, do you want to be in your dorm room or your kitchen or make sure you're in a professional setting for that interview because they can see what's behind you. You know, if you have pets, Move the pets away. So they shouldn't be walking in the front of the screen. I, I, Colleen, I've seen everything. Right. <laughs> I, bet. I bet. I've seen everything. And like you even say to when you're interviewing people for these podcasts, have water available. You know, what if you start coughing? What if you have to clear your throat? So, and it, turn your phones off. Turn the distractions off. Because if you have that interview, it's critical. And I'll tell you a very funny story to be careful about because I'm sure some of the people in the audience today that are listening to this, maybe on the other end, they're giving interviews to people. Uh, My daughter had an interview recently. And during the interview, when it was over, they turned the camera off and they forgot to turn the audio off. Yes. And she got to hear everything that happened after the interview. Fortunately, good. But how embarrassing is that? if you're not looking at your technology and making sure it's all shut down. I have been on both sides of that Mm -hmm. where I have ended meetings and that somebody else was running and they just kept talking. And I was like, well, we just learned whether we're going to get the deal or not. Right. Right. (laughs) And so I do try to tell people, yeah. And that meeting before you say another word or press the end call button on your mm-hmm. iPhone before you say another word, right? Absolutely. Oh my goodness. And they're embarrassing moments that you can't take back. Right. And you don't even, you know, sometimes in the moment you're just moving so fast that you're, 
your brain's just, just, there's so many things that you're trying mm-hmm. to process, mm-hmm. right? So it's just completely inadvertent, but it does sure. often have a lasting implication. Sure. And that's, that's true about any, any mode of communication, Colleen. And the same thing with email. Don't send your email right away without looking it over and making sure you really want to send it with that tone. In fact, sometimes put it down and come back to it. Don't rush to respond. More mistakes have been made that way. Yeah, I wonder if people, um, it's sometimes counting to 10, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, whether it's counting to 10 quietly and you take a deep breath and then you start talking or you count to 10, you get up, walk away, and then maybe rethink that email. But I think that there are so many moments that we hear about in business and in life for people that they're like, I bet in retrospect, they probably think, I wish I just didn't push that sentence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and also be so careful on how the other person might feel when they receive that. Because I, I remember years ago, I once had a proposal out uh, to a company and I spent a lot of time talking to them. And finally, the response was maybe two acronyms like or, or two words even, no another time or something like that. That told me they really needed my communication training. There was no question about it. But think about, I mean, we, we have to think about being polite. That, that in some ways, some of those skills have been lost. But think about what the person on the other end of the email will feel like, the person on the other end of the text, the person on the other end of the phone call, And of course, the person on the other end of the face-to-face. But if we try to look from the other perspective, we might adjust what we're saying or put in emoticons or something to let people know whether it's in jest, whether it's serious, whether it's sarcastic, and because people don't know that. And I work with so many people who speak English as a second language. They don't necessarily pick up sarcasm that easily. even with a voice. So those are things, just be so aware of what message you're sending out and how it might be received by the listener. I'd love that. And, you know, it makes me think about, you know, we write a lot of LinkedIn profiles and we write a lot of LinkedIn profiles for executive teams and CEOs. Mm -hmm. And many of these CEOs have very strong personalities. Mm-hmm. Like on a, on a disc, they're going to be a high D in, you know, predictive index. They're just, they're strong alpha personalities. That's why they're the visionary, the leader, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they say to me, wow, way too much information. I, I want three bullet points. And so we've become kind of mindful of somebody's communication style, their behaviors, um, as it relates to writing their LinkedIn profile. And I say, you know, we're actually not writing it for you. You already know who you are. We're writing it for the person who's receiving it. And they may need more than those three bullet points Mm. to have enough context about you and your organization to know whether they might want to work there or do business with you or be a referral partner, whatever it might be. So I think it's so interesting, you know, when we kind of, I, I'm just so much more cognizant of somebody's communication style and try to communicate with them to give them what they need. But I do think that there's this piece where they need to recognize that other people might need something different. Well, that's an excellent point. And you made me think of something I haven't thought about in over 30 years. And that is my first job. I, I was coming out of a very prestigious graduate program. And most people in my field knew that if you were in that program, you were good a moment, a little, not too much humility right now, but I'll I'll tell you the humble moment from that. When we wrote our 
resumes or CVs coming out of that program, it was a one pager with very little information because we thought we were, you know, top notch. And being in our 20s, many 20-year-olds think that, right? Mm -hmm. So I sent the resume out because I knew that the degree would speak for itself. And I ended up interviewing for my job at the National Convention, where sometimes they have career job centers, and I interviewed. And I was fortunate enough to get a job at a great hospital at this National Convention of all, you know, the American Speech and Hearing Association. And the person met me and we talked, and she hired me. And I worked there for several years, and I respect her more than one of, she's one of my mentors. But she told me, she said, Linda, your resume was so lean. It didn't tell me anything about what you did. Mm-hmm. And my thought was, well, I didn't have to. Well, I did. This person wasn't part of my program, didn't know everything about it. And I then learned that, you know, I may have thought, just like you're saying, some of these these executives may say, well, it speaks for itself, but it doesn't. And fortunately, she met me and hired me from the interview. I don't know that I would have been hired from my resume. So it's an important thing to think about. It's, you don't always get that opportunity to give the visual and the vocal. I just gave the verbal in writing. And it might not have been enough. Right. And I think that that's really important. And as people are zooming through, you know, their day and decisions and meetings and interviews, it's important to give people as much as they need in the way that they need it mm-hmm. as, we, as we can. Right. And so if somebody can just scan it real fast and, and they get just what they need, terrific. But if other people need more context, I think it's the onus is on us to be able to communicate to and provide that context. And and Colleen, I'm sure that makes your work very difficult because everybody has different styles, right? I remember writing some of my descriptions and I knew all about this. It's like, well, it was way too much information. That's really not what they're looking for. That's what I want to tell them. And so I'm sure you have to educate people. And I know I've done some work with you on this, that it's not about who I am. It's what can I do for you? Exactly. And the, and the other piece to that is so much language. It's just, it, it makes no sense to people. They read it. I read so many, you know, I look at resumes and LinkedIn profiles and websites. And I'm like, wow, I don't even know what this person does. Mm-hmm. They've used lots of buzzwords, and I think, you know, you mentioned authenticity mm-hmm. earlier, and I think one of the ways that we can create authenticity is is clarity in communication. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think we're impressed with our own industry language mm-hmm. and not realizing that the other person might have no idea what that means. I've, I've heard people say, especially because I coach a lot of people in – technology, STEM professionals, scientists, engineers, and people do a lot of research. And the, the, what they often are told is explain it like you can explain it to your grandmother, mm-hmm. right? Because then everybody can, under, not, not that there's anything wrong with a grandmother, but then everybody can understand it. Don't explain it like a colleague needs to understand it unless you're speaking at a conference. That's different. But to explain what you do, it has to be meaningful to anybody. Or even explain it to a child. How would you explain what you do to a child? And if they understand it, then you're explaining it so everybody can understand. And it's a good thing to keep in mind when we're talking too. I was coaching people the other day, yesterday, and I was saying, they said, well, my vocabulary is not that good. 
how good does it have to be if you can explain your information? If you're thinking you need to use these big terms so that you sound so smart, but nobody in the room understands you, you're not being effective. If anything, you're being haughty. Mm-hmm. And that may turn people off. So I think we, we have this mistaken notion that we have to use a very large vocabulary to be professional. And I don't think that's the answer. I think we need to speak in a clear manner so people get the message. That's so much more important. Right. And so share with us um, some of the other things that you think um, some of your clients really struggle with. So vocabulary being one of them. Mm-hmm. Are there a couple of others that come to mind? So many. Uh, if, if we're talking about international, if I can just share something that to me was so exciting. It's something I actually did today without mentioning who the client is or where they are. But when I work with international clients, especially uh, people in the C-suites, and some of them may say to me, I don't want to change my accent. That's my identity. And I said, you have every right to keep your identity. I'm not here to change people's identity. I'm here to make them effective. And I don't even want to mention what his role was, but I heard one of his reports that he did, and it was very hard to understand. And so we're working on getting him ready for another report that's all audio and and a webinar. So you'll see slides, you'll hear the person talk, but you won't see him. And we just went through strategies for a second language learner, somebody who has an accent, on how to stress and how to pause And Colleen, the amount of progress he made in 45 minutes was unbelievable. That he is going to sound so good next week. And I'm so excited about that. And I'm going to be working with him for 15 weeks. So it's think about what he's going to get beyond that. But there are certain things that we need to do. And it's not just for non-native speakers. It's also to have have a more animated, dynamic voice. Because we know there are all those people out there who basically speak Mm -hmm. like this and they're putting you to sleep when they're talking. And if you're listening to a webinar with somebody talking like that, or if I kept talking this way, the podcast would be over in the listener's mind. And he picked it up in one session. And to me, that gives me more thrill than anything I do. To see such an impact with such a high level professional. You know, we can all learn. Right. And your work is really fascinating because you are working with people all over the world. Mm-hmm. And and it seems like they have something in common. They do want it to be better communicators. Mm-hmm. That's really the first step, right? Somebody has to say, you know, think, wow, I probably, I'm very good at what I do. I'm a subject matter expert. Mm-hmm. I've risen pretty far in the company. I've started a company, whatever. Now I need to really live up to that role by being a really strong communicator. Right. And, and that's true about anybody, right? Anybody. But when you then have another language, mm-hmm. even if you're proficient in that language, many people from India are proficient in English. But I worked with somebody in India because he was working for an American company. And on the telephone calls, they were having trouble understanding him. And so we worked together. He got so much better. And the confidence that it gave him and the energy it added to a phone call just made it better for everybody. And I tell a lot of my, the people I work with, a lot of my clients is give the gift to your listener. You know, the gift is pausing. The gift is being more animated. The gift is giving them time to absorb your information. And then everybody wins on that. You communicate the information. They're not working so hard to interpret what you're saying, and you're already two sentences beyond them. 
and then they get frustrated and you get frustrated because they're not following through with what you're telling them. It's a gift all around if you can modify the way you're speaking so people understand you. Yeah, I think that's terrific. Share with us some of the tools that you use. So considering this podcast is called Indispensable, Mm -hmm. there must be some truths, which we've talked about through this podcast, but Mm -hmm. really some tools and more tips that you can share with us that you have found invaluable. Well, the ones that I use every day are my ears. <laughs> we all have, as, and hopefully I will always have my hearing because that's what I need to do. My ears and my mouth are how I communicate with people, the listening as well as the speaking. But that's, that's a given, uh, but a very important given for the field that I have. And my eyes, let me not, not leave that out as well to observe people. But the tools that I use, video has been indispensable. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and Colleen, the technology today is so much better. I spoke to a medical conference several years ago, maybe five, maybe 10 years ago. And there was a doctor on the Eastern Shore who, of Maryland who wanted me to work with him on his accent. And he said, how can we do this? And my response was, well, you could come to me or I could go to you. That's not, but it wasn't really reasonable to do that Mm -hmm. if I work with them for a period of time. Well, now when I I speak with a client, I say, look, if we use, I happen to use GoToMeeting and Zoom has a lot of the same features. It's just my Mm -hmm. comfort level. But when I say to a client, I can work with you online. You could be in California. You could be in Australia. I'm working with somebody right now in Guinea in Africa. You could be wherever you are. We can get online and see each other with a webcam. You could see my desktop. I could record the session. I can give you a transcription of the session. I can also take my other video camera out and just video a clip of what you're saying. And I'll put them in a Dropbox for you and you can now review these. That's indispensable. For what mm-hmm. I do. You know, I do a lot of work with international clergy, a lot of foreign-born priests. I help them with their homilies. And they'll do, they'll do practice a homily with me. And I video it. I put it in the Dropbox. And they watch it so that they can make it better for the homily that they're going to give that Sunday. I couldn't do that 10, 15 years ago. So there was a dead end before. Now the technology is allowing me to do so much. Well, and you also create so much more value. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I mean, it would have been, you know, in in days gone by, you would have shown up and you would have had to do it face to face and maybe bring a video camera. Right. Just the fact that you can record the session Mm -hmm. and they can play it back and they can practice and they can hear themselves is huge. Absolutely. I, and another thing that hel- it helps with, I recently did a webinar. A lot of people want to, I take my public speaking webinars and a company came to me and said, well, I have three sales reps in three different time zones. It would cost a lot to fly you to headquarters and to fly all of them into headquarters. Do you have any suggestions? And I said, let's do it as a webinar. So we met for two hours, three of us, three of them plus me, met for two hours, a two-hour class. I let them practice for a month in between, and we met for a second two-hour class. And the confident, and we videoed them. They stood up. They stood back from the camera, stood up. I gave them videos. They got to see. We practiced impromptu presentations. And they said after the second one, they started sending me emails how 
I had to speak to a group and they were in cells. I had to speak to a group. I felt so much better. I knew what to do about the nervousness. I felt so much calmer. And that allowed me to do that. So it was so much more affordable for the company. It was very easy for me. I didn't have to travel any place. And yet the outcomes were excellent. Mm-hmm. So that's technology. I, I, I must say that the video technology and the platforms for having these webinars or calls are the most indispensable tool I have. Right. I can absolutely understand that. I think for anybody who's coaching today and training, we can, we can be doing that anywhere in the world and mm-hmm. do it as effectively as in person. As long as we're with the country where they have good internet. Oh, yes, <laughs> that's yes, yes. That's been a challenge with some of my clients. And the other thing I'll mention to anybody who is doing this, because years ago I learned my lesson when I was working with two people in China, you should be hardwired into the internet. Wireless will never be as good as hardwired if you're using video. Right. And I learned that the hard way. <laughs> yes. They couldn't see what I was showing them and I, I was lost and I told the tech support later, oh, I'm on Wi-Fi. You can't do that. You can, but you'll run into those problems. So. Right, exactly. If you weren't doing what you do, what would you be doing? Oh, Colleen, uh, I must say at this stage of my life, and I'm not a novice, <laughs> I'm doing just what I want to be doing. I, I, I can't begin to tell you how much I love helping the people that I'm working with, be it priests, be it CEOs or CFOs or managers or, uh, or college students with uh, learning to give pitches or people with their startups with their pitch competition. I, I love everything I'm doing. And, and each day that I work with somebody, I learn something different from them. And so I know that it builds on it. And after doing this for over 35 years, I just love working with people. Uh, I, I don't know if you know, uh, I may have mentioned this to you, but I even have a video series now, The Hard Facts About Soft Skills, where I'm interviewing people about soft skills because that's, that goes along with everything I'm doing with communication. And the people I'm meeting and the amount of content I'm learning only makes me better. So I think at a stage when some people say they may want to cut back and work less and less, I'm probably working more than I ever did, but doing just what I want to be doing. I love that. And that's so inspirational. And everybody should check out Linda's series um, because I get them Uh in my inbox and I watch them and I listen and there's great takeaways. So these soft skills are exactly the point that everybody's talking about right now in hiring. Right, So people can have the same hard skills, but it's the soft skills, the um, emotional intelligence, all of that, that employers are really looking at as they are hiring people. So I think that there can be, um, that could be a really valuable tool. So how can people find you and get some of these resources? Sure. My website is successfully-speaking.com. And that's where they can find me. They can also arrange free 15-minute telephone calls right on that website. They have access to that. They can watch a lot of my videos. I have a video library there. I have two YouTube channels. One channel, which has the hard facts about soft skills, is lindacatswilner.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A. 
And the other one is Speak Successfully. If you go to YouTube, uh, you will find that channel as well. So those are the ways that you can do it. I have newsletters, as you just mentioned, Colleen. I, I send monthly newsletters. I send a lot of the video excerpts. I do master classes. I work one-on-one, -on -one, and I go to companies where I can speak. I've spoken at some organization. Um, we didn't even talk about my Olay approach, which is the observe, listen, and engage. I help people with better client engagement by focusing on their listening and observation skills. So I can speak at annual meetings, at retreats, at organizations. I'll be speaking at the Maryland Sherm Conference coming up this October. And the best way to contact me is through my website. Terrific. Linda is also on LinkedIn, and she has a great LinkedIn profile. I know I would be remiss, though. How right, I forget Linda? That? I'm sorry. <laughs> I would be so remiss if I didn't mention that. So, Linda Katz Wilner, W I L N E R, and Linda is with a Y L Y N D A. And it's so great to have this chance to talk with you today. I know that people will listen and take some valuable nuggets away from this because we want to encourage everybody to be better communicators. And I feel like every time I talk to you, I learn something that I am just much more conscious of and mindful of as I'm doing it. So I appreciate your time. It was great to have you with uh, us. Thanks. It's my pleasure. It was great speaking with you, Colleen. And that's all for Indispensable. Thanks for joining us. We hope to catch you on our next episode. Grab our show notes, review them, check out the links included, and head over to interoadvisory.com to learn more about the work that we do in our community and with our clients.